Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to pay attention to one verse. Of course, on the back of your sermon outline are quite a few other texts of Scripture that, uh, that we'll be referencing this morning. But one verse, Matthew 6, verse 11. We've been studying through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're at that place in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. Give us today our daily bread. Wonderful text so far, the reading of God's Word. I came across the funniest article in Newsweek, uh, Newsday actually this week, and maybe some of you saw it. It had to do with a study that came out of people on death row. And what they requested for their last meal. And the headline reads, Study, Inmates' Last Meals Mostly Unhealthy. And the writer's very concerned about the fact that these, these uh, people at their last meal are asking for food that's high in saturated fats, and, and they want fried chicken and french fries, and they choose uh, soda, you know, the big 16-ounce sodas that are illegal, instead of milk. Uh, well, well, not true, not all of them. One, it says, one, one uh, inmate requested a single pitted olive. But the rest of them wanted fried chicken or well-marbled steak, and, and uh, that's what they asked for. You know, we're at that place in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus teaches us to ask. He does teach us to ask for our daily bread. Now, I'd like to review, for those of you who are new to us, that we're taking the Lord's Prayer very seriously. And it's not just something that you recite rotely. It is rich. It's pregnant for us. And North Shore Community Church, we have agreed that we want to know God as our Heavenly Father, right? How do you, how do you address God? As your Father. Do you know Him intimately? That's what we want. We want to know God as a Father. That's what Jesus says. And He's in heaven, and He's holy. And so North Shore Community Church, we worship Him as holy. And it is our delight, we're agreed together, as much as we are able, it becomes our delight to praise His holy name and to lift Him up and to worship Him. And we want to be a worshiping congregation because holy is His name. And then we find out that He has an agenda in this world, that He's bringing His kingdom into this world, and we're getting aboard with the rule of Jesus Christ and the reign of Jesus Christ. The rule and reign of Christ is exhibited in the kingdom of heaven that is breaking into this world. Thy kingdom come, and more and more, I'm stopping and I stop saying, my will be done. And what are we learning more and more to say in our prayer life to our Heavenly Father? Thy will be done. Your will is better than my will. Your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. And what you have at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer are the great priorities of the Christian life, right? Enjoying the benefits of adoption, worshiping God in His holiness, getting on board His agenda for the kingdom of heaven, and wanting His will. 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then, it says in Matthew 6.33, what? Anybody know how, how that verse ends? And then all these things will be added to you. What are these things? Well, it says things like food and clothing and housing and transportation and, and the necessities of life. And what Matthew 6.33 says in, in uh, one simple verse, the Lord's Prayer is showing us. Get the priorities right, and then you discover that the eternal, almighty God actually cares about the little particular needs of your life, like food. He actually cares. Really. He does. And he loves you so much that he's going to provide for you. And Jesus, even before he teaches you to pray about the forgiveness of sins, which is really important, he says, learn to come to your father. Say, Daddy, I need bread. And I trust you to give it to me. We're going to answer a couple questions about this phrase, give us today our daily bread. And uh, the first question is this, does Jesus want us to have a high-carbohydrate, gluten-filled diet? Some of you have celiac disease. You're not happy at this idea that Jesus commands his followers to eat lots of gluten. You know, I've had gluten-free food. You know what gluten-free food needs? Gluten! (laughs) Uh, Sorry, Ann. But, but... But is Jesus, you know, we take the wor- every word of the Bible very seriously. So some might wonder, does Jesus really say his disciples then need just to eat bread? And it's an interesting question. One, uh, one crotchety old preacher that I came across actually uh, was, he was a bitter old preacher. And he was envious of people in his congregation who, I guess, ate better than he did, and so he actually would rebuke the people of his church because Jesus commands his disciples just to live on the diet of bread, and he rebukes those who like pickles and melons, who are extravagant, you see. Well, is that what Jesus is doing here? Is he just restricting us to a diet of bread? I don't think so. I think if you know your Old Testament, you know that when bread is referred to as the staff of life, and a famine comes and eliminates the bread in the land. It's eliminating the basic necessities of life, that which we survive on. And so bread here is referring to the basic necessities for survival, for life. And uh, and 1 Timothy 6.17 speaks of the fact that God does bless us with all good things to enjoy. Do you know that verse? And so God does not restrict us just to, uh, just to bread in our life. Um, instead, Jesus is teaching us here a prayer of dependence on God to provide for our daily needs. Okay? Now, it leads to the second question. You see it in your outline. What does the Bible teach us to remember as we pray this prayer? Because we need some guidelines. 
the scriptures often speak to this subject of, of, uh, of daily life. And unfortunately, many of us get it wrong. Some people take this verse in scripture and say, well, since it doesn't restrict it just to bread, I, I guess that means that God wants me to ask him for any and all stuff that I could imagine that I would love to get. And so, um, and, and uh, Christians have often begun to ask God for all sorts of extravagances that, uh, that they can wildly indulge in. Oh, God, uh, give me that Cadillac Escalade that is going to make me feel so powerful. <laughs> give me that computer video game that I'm lusting after, that I want to play with. Oh, God, I must have it. I have to have it. Oh, God, that 80-inch plasma screen that would fill my living room wall. Oh, God, give it to me this day, my daily 80-inch television screen. And so we know in our hearts this doesn't sound exactly right. These things may be good, but they are not the necessities of life that Jesus teaches us to pray for. And the first principle that the Bible gives us many, many times is that we must be willing to be content even when he just gives us the bare necessities of life. And I wonder if you've thought about this. The Bible teaches that the Christian should experience what the old Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs calls the rare jewel of Christian contentment. I love the title of that book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. That there is to be actually a simplicity to our lives so that we are able to be content whether we have much or we have little. And did you hear the scripture reading that Elias read to us earlier where the Apostle Paul says, I have learned to be content whether I have uh, much food or only have a little bit of food, whether I'm full or hungry, abased or abounding. I've learned the secret of contentment. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. God often gives us much more. In fact, if you live in the year 2012 on the north shore of Long Island, you have much more than the, than the rest of the world in the history of the world. The kings and emperors of the ancient world would love to live in your apartment. They would love to live in your house, hot and cold, running water. Oh, my. A roof that doesn't leak. Oh, my. And you go into the grocery store and you walk down the cereal aisle and the, the emperor, Nebuchadnezzar, would have been overwhelmed by the choices of cereal boxes before him. God has given us much, but listen. Do you say to yourself, if only I had this, then I would be happy? Teenagers, teenagers. I remember when I was a teenager, that was, that was in me a lot. I, I've just got to have this. If only I had that. But we don't just grow out of it as adults too often. And they're, there, there, 
there arises an obsession inside of our souls. And what Jesus is teaching us in this prayer, give us this day our daily bread, is he's calling us to a contentment in a, and a simplicity in life. And the reason I bring this up and have labored on it so long is because there's an entire industry. It's called the advertising industry. And what is the singular purpose of the advertising industry? Its singular purpose is to make you discontent with what you have so that you will buy the product that they are advertising. And some of them are really good at arousing in us a discontent. 1 Timothy 6, verse 8 says, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And so there is this, this, and there's a warning in the Bible about serving God and money, serving God and stuff. And so I wonder if when Jesus taught us this prayer, if he had in mind Proverbs 30, verse 8. Do you know that verse? It's uh, on the back of your sermon outline. Proverbs 30, 8 and 9. Keep falsehoods and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. And I think one of the dangers, parents, is when you raise children in an environment of affluence, is that Proverbs... Children need to learn Proverbs 30, verse 8. Because rich children really naturally say, Who is the Lord? I don't need the Lord. I go to my dad, and my dad is quick to give me the car, give me the cash, give me the whatever I want. And there is a, there is a spiritual poison in that. And so... We don't just pray for stuff. The other thing, the second thing that the Bible teaches us, this is a very basic truth, but I want to reinforce it today, is that when you ask, how does God give me my daily bread, he gives it to us as he enables us to work. And this is all through the scriptures. The second guideline really came to my mind as I was praying about this sermon on Labor Day. Of course, on Labor Day. How does the farmer get his food? He prays, give me my daily bread, but he goes out and he grows his food. But what if you're not a farmer? What do you do? Well, what you do is you go to work, you earn money, and then you buy your food from the farmer. And that's how God gives you your daily bread. And Moses, in Psalm 90, verse 17, just for food, but to pray for God's blessing on our labors. And you you get this in Psalm 90, verse 17. uh, Moses says, listen to this, may the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And what do you think Moses is remembering at this point? Moses is remembering this, this, this 
gift that God has given to the sons of Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve were created in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 1.28, God said, be fruitful and multiply, have dominion over the earth, rule over the earth and the fish and the fowl and, 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 uh, and the earth. He gave them that cultural mandate. He says, tend the garden. When they were called to tend the garden, they were to go to work and to enjoy that work as God's representative because you see, brothers and sisters, human beings are made in the image of God and God is a worker. Did you know that? God is a worker. God is creative. God is productive. He created the earth and you are made in God's image. And that purposefulness, that that intention to labor and do work is a good thing. Work happened before the fall. Work is not a result of sin. So, we need a biblical theology of work. And uh, work is how you get your daily bread. Now, God still has to give you the strength, the skills, the abilities, the contacts, the success in what you do, but, but he does it in that way. And what if you don't work? What if you won't work? The, the, the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, I'm glad this is in the Bible. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. So if it's harvest season out in the fields, and everybody gets up and goes out in the field to gather in the harvest, but you decide, you know, <laughs> I'm not into that today. I'm not into work today. I'm going to stay home and read a good book. But I'm going to pray, give me this day my daily bread. That's not quite right, is it? Now, let me just say, you're not always working for money. Some people are out of work. Some people uh, work in the home, are homemakers. That's hard work. Uh, but, but listen, you're a worker. And even if you're not working for pay, you can volunteer. You can work around the house. You can help clean up. You can put things in order. But we were made to be busy, and we were made to have dominion over the earth. Now, there are times when sickness... Hank Hanegraaff, I was studying his little book. I told you about it on the Lord's Prayer. He says there are times when sickness or disability or extenuating circumstances keep us from working. But in general, he says, able-bodied followers of the carpenter. What carpenter is he talking about here? Who? Jesus. Did you know Jesus was a carpenter? So he says... Able-bodied followers of the carpenter put themselves to work to cover their own needs and not become a burden to others. And that's what Paul says. He says, we didn't want to become a burden to others. But even more than that, even more than that, and this is the third principle here, the Bible teaches us that we labor to get our daily bread, but also so that we can share it with others. And this is really beautiful. This is really beautiful. Because in Ephesians 4.28, Paul talks about the thief, you know, the robber. He talks about the thief. Do you remember what he says about the thief? Listen to this, Ephesians 
Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And what you have here is the, the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ at work. Here's a man who's committed to getting his daily bread by stealing from you, and he comes to Christ. He's converted. He's made new in Jesus Christ. He's a new creation in Christ, and he stops stealing. And he learns to work with his hands, and he earns some money, and he covers his own daily needs, and then what else does he do? He is so transformed that he actually now becomes a generous person. And he shares with others. Wow. Wow. The transformed life in a relationship with Jesus Christ. The vision, the Christian vision of labor ultimately becomes others-oriented. You go to work, and you, you think about your boss. You think about the clients. You think about providing the goods and services. The policeman cares about the citizens. The teacher cares about the students. The salesman cares about his clients. And then you earn your money, and you care about your children, and you care about your wife or your husband, and you care about the church and the poor. Wow. Give us this day our daily bread. And Hanegraaff, he has this quote, if you're taking notes. He says, we cannot pray, give us, and not be givers ourselves. Okay? We cannot pray, give us, and not be givers ourselves. We have to be generous with what we have. Our teenagers uh, at Christmas, it was so beautiful, remember? To see them at Christmas time. One, they bought presents for single moms. And, and you're, if you read the article, one of them said, it was the first present I ever wrapped for anybody in my life. And I liked it. He liked becoming generous. He liked it. It is more blessed to give than receive. Yes, God, we want to receive from you. Give us this day our daily bread. But isn't it a blessing to be able to give, even for the ministers? I don't know. Should I, be, should I feel awkward when I say, I get my daily bread, my family was fed through your tithes and offerings, right? Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for giving my family, our daily bread. But it's very interesting. You know, in the book of Numbers, when God talked to the Levites, who were the Levites? They were the ministers. They were the preachers and pastors of their day. And in Numbers 18, 25 and 26, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Levites and say to them, okay, so now I guess I, I should pay close attention now. Say to them, when you receive from the Israelites the tithe I gave you as your inheritance, you must present a tenth of that tithe as the Lord's offering. And what's he saying? He's saying to me, well, Pastor John, you need to tithe too. You need to give away too. And I have to, I have to honestly tell you, I am so blessed that God gave me a generous wife. 
probably one of my fleshly sin patterns is I tend to, to hold on to things or tend to grasp on things. But Nina is always saying, well, now how can we help others? How can we give away what we have? And, and, and it's always been our practice then since we married to want to take that first fruits and to give it away and, and just naturally, because the, if the Levites had to do it in the Old Testament and now we're in the New Covenant, well, we should do it too. And don't you ever, preacher, tell other people to do what you're not willing to do. And I guess I just needed to get that out because you can't say, give me, unless you're a giver as well. All right? I love this church, and one of the reasons I came to be pastor of this church was because ever since its inception, there's been a food pantry. Ever since its inception, there has been generosity in the DNA of this congregation. Even yet today, we have a food pantry in this church. And you, we give away probably $1,000 of food every month from your, what you put in that second offering plate that goes by, or actually in our budget, it's in, in the general fund. And I, and I want to say, first, some of us need the food pantry for our daily bread. If you're ever at a place where, you know, you open the refrigerator and it's empty, and so you check your wallet, and it's empty too, come on over. Come on over to the food pantry. Get a gallon of milk and a dozen eggs and, and, uh, and some frozen chicken and, and so cans of green beans and macaroni. We'll load up the bag for you. Come on over. Don't worry about it. We're glad to help you. We should be glad to help you. Why? Because religion, James 1 uh, says, James 1.27, religion that our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. That's in the DNA of this church, okay? Let's keep it in our DNA. I know that as a church family, we cannot end world hunger. I wish we could. But we can end hunger for some people who need help, and our children, our teenagers, our youth group. There's one little boy in West Africa, remember, we put his picture up here when the children adopted little Grazi as their Compassion International child. And that little child may pray every day, give, give me today my daily bread, and he will receive his daily bread because the children of our church and their parents gave that money in order to care for him. That's a beautiful thing. It's in the DNA, isn't it, of who we are as a church family. May God protect us. The theology of bread is, yes, God uses work and labor. He blesses us. It's, we're to have simplicity in our life, contentment, and there's to be a generosity. That's the theological background to all of this. But the third question, then, is why does Jesus emphasize the word daily? And these are some practical guidelines that we need. And one thing that, that we need to remember, pay attention to this, is that God did not give us assurances that he will provide tomorrow's bread today. Now, he's probably done that for most of us, right? Most of us have a, a full refrigerator, and we have some money in the bank. But there's an Old Testament example of this. Can you think of what it might be where God refused to give tomorrow's bread today? Do you remember that? 
in the wilderness, when God gave manna in the wilderness, what did he teach Israel? He said, I'm going to provide for you each day. And what did they do? They were like John Yenchko. What did they do at the beginning? You remember? They went out and hoarded it. They were hoarders. And they, they got all extra manna. But tomorrow came, and what happened to that manna? It was moldy. It was foul. And God was saying, come on, guys. I need you to remember. I'm going to take care of you today. You see, brothers and sisters, we need to walk by faith. Walk by faith, not by sight. I don't like to walk by faith. I prefer to walk by sight. But Jesus says, no, walk by faith. Trust me. And if you need prayer for faith today, after this service, someone will pray for you so that you can have faith. If you're not a trusting person to God, maybe you'll come forward for prayer today because you need that gift of faith that says, I will be content today. Now, somebody's got to be saying, I thought we were disciples of Dave Ramsey in this church. Didn't you have the Dave Ramsey program where we learn to eliminate credit card debt and we have a we have a, a $500 stash in our sock drawer and we have six months in advance savings in case you lose your job? And yet, Well, yes, the, the Bible does say go to the ant, you sluggard. It does teach you to store up. And we do want to uh, be sensible and prudent in how we conduct our financial affairs and so we should be. But... But no matter how much, and Dave Ramsey teaches this, no matter how much you prepare for tomorrow, there is no guarantee. There is no guarantee. God promises he'll take care of you today. And he will. From God's hand to my mouth. The second uh, practical thing I want you to remember is that by telling you to pray daily, he wants, he, it means frequently. He means frequently. He wants you to come to him. And this is a beautiful thing. Picture your heavenly father smiling when you come into the room to ask. Dad, can I have a couple of bucks? Sure, son. It's why I went to work. I do want to give you a couple bucks. Enjoy it. Have a good time. I remember when my children were little and I would come home in our house on Falcon Drive. It had a long, long hallway and I would come in and you'd hear the cry, Daddy's home! And then, like a dog on ice, the kids, their feet would start running and they'd race down the hallway and jump into my arms. Every night. And, wow. You know, thank you, Nina, for making a big deal out of it. God wants you to come to him frequently, frequently. Not just when you get your paycheck. And the other real important principle is all you have is a gift from God. Never forget this. Do you remember in Deuteronomy 6, he says down in verse 11, uh, after he's given them all these blessings, he says, when you eat and are satisfied, verse 12, 
Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Why would he say that? Be careful that you do not forget the Lord. Because we do. I will congratulate myself rather than thank God for what I have. And I may have already told you one of my favorite theologians is Bart Simpson. You know Bart Simpson, who he is, the young whippersnapper, Homer and Marge's little guy. And, and it, was, it was dinner time, and they were gathered around the table, and, and Marge says, Bart, will you say grace tonight? Bart bows his head, and he says, Dear Lord, all we have, we got ourselves, so thanks for nothing. Amen. Bart is one of my favorite bad theologians. The writers are brilliant. They show the reality of Deuteronomy 6, verse 11, in the, in the, in the arrogant, presumptuous, sinful, human heart. I did it all myself. Like the man who built his barns and congratulated himself. I did it all myself. Are you like Bart Simpson? Listen, you're not the only person who ate this morning or had a roof over your head this morning. Both Christians and non-Christians had a good breakfast. Both Christians and non-Christians had a car to drive them somewhere. Both Christians and non-Christians had a warm bed and a safe bed to sleep in. Both did. Which one thanked God? Which one? Millions of unbelievers enjoy the gifts, but they receive it without thanksgiving. Romans 1 says the great indictment against the unbeliever is that they will neither acknowledge God nor give thanks. And on the judgment day, what will it mean? What will it mean for the unbeliever on the judgment day that they never said truly from the heart, thank you to their heavenly Father? I tell you, the old Puritans used to say, every meal will increase their condemnation. Wow. So if you have food on your shelves when you get home today and you open the pen, say thank you to God for it. Say thank you. You get in your car and the combustion engine roars to life, say thank you. He loves you so much. But of course, and some of you are waiting for me to get to this, when Jesus talks about physical bread, what else does he say about bread? He says that he is the bread of life. He is the bread that came down from heaven. Do you know that wonderful Pax passage? You see, we're about to come to communion, and we're going to eat some bread. Most of us will eat bread with gluten in it. Some of us will have gluten-free bread, but we will eat bread. But that bread speaks to us of food that goes beyond the physical. It speaks of food for the soul. And God wants to feed your soul today. Oh, he does. For your soul is hungry, your soul is thirsty, and what you need is Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. That's what you are hungry and thirsty for. Listen to these words from John 6, 32. Listen to this. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. 
For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us this bread. And I hope you say that. Do you say that? Sir, give us this bread. I, I really do need it. I need it to love my wife. I need it to love my husband. I need it to love my kids. I need it to succeed in school. I need it to, to be a powerful witness for you. I, sir, give me this bread. Jesus answered them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. The bread is a taste of salvation. Don't be like Bart Simpson, who would not acknowledge the Lord. Come to him and feed. And when you take your, ask for your last meal, what will you ask for? Fried chicken, of course. Cornbread with lots of butter. Collard greens. Simmered long in vinegar. Big frosty glass of ginger ale. But you know what your last meal will be? I'll tell you what it will be. Your final meal will be an eternal meal. When you will be welcomed and seated at the banquet table of the Lamb, at the marriage feast of the Lamb, and you will feed on the bread of heaven forever. You will be nourished on the bread of heaven forever. You will inhale the air of heaven, which is the Shekinah glory, the Holy Spirit, it will fill you. And you will dine with Him, drinking from the water of life forever. So come and taste now. Come and feed on Christ in your hearts right now. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, come and feed us. I invite the elders to come forward. Lord Jesus, come and feed us now as we partake of communion. We want to commune with you. Oh, Lord, we're hungry. Some of us may not know just how hungry we are, but we are hungry. Come and feed us. In, and um, come and forgive us. Some of us need to repent of a thankless heart, a presumptuous heart, a greedy heart. Well, we ask you to do some business with us. Some of us need you to do business with our stingy hearts. Come and help us, Lord. But most of all, come and give us yourself that we may be satisfied. In Jesus' name, amen. Our Lord